I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown. We give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. We are doing an episode by episode review of the Apple Plus TV series Ted Lasso. And Spencer, this is the backside of a back to back for the Lasso Lowdown. We just got a pod posted today. We're recording another pod. Why? Podcast professionals. Two, because we promised the people that we would get through season one before season two starts on January 23rd or July 23rd. And we are doing it, my friend, because we are in episode nine of season one. We only have one more left after this one. This episode is called what all apologies mm-hmm. um shout out nirvana uh what did you think of the episode this was a really good episode i mean it's a penultimate episode it's clearly setting up what our finale is but man i love what this show does of when it makes all the characters you've talked about them the similarity with the office doing this where it makes all the characters go through a similar experience and own their, their own unique ways and just plays it out there's a common theme there's a common bit of suffering everyone's gonna have to go through from their own unique perspective and we just see the characters we now know and love go through it. This one was all about hard truths and coming to terms with that and the difficult difficult decision to do the right thing. And it was beautiful to see all the characters go through that kind of experience. I loved this episode quite a bit. Uh, I liked it because um, my favorite scene in the entire season is in this oh. episode. Now, if you listen to the front side of our back-to-back, episode 8, you will note that Spencer shouted out his favorite scene, mm-hmm. which is Ted sunning Rupert in darts, uh, <laughs> winning the heart of Rebecca. Rebecca winning the hearts of the people in the bar. That bar scene, that was an incredible scene. I've got my favorite scene. I'm looking um, forward to I'm it. I'm going to call out in this episode, and that is what we call in the business a tease. So uh, <laughs> before we get into all of our many, many segments, segments galore, let's do a little housekeeping. Um, again, we are going to release this episode we're going to do one more in just a couple days and then we are going to be with you every single week for uh ted lasso season two that starts on july 23rd those episodes are going to drop on friday our episodes are then going to our review episodes of each episode of ted lasso are going to come out on the following saturday or sunday probably saturday afternoon so you're going to get it pretty fast folks so check out uh new episodes of ted lasso on apple plus and then check out the lasso lowdown in your podcast feed a day or two after and if you're not subscribed to the podcast make sure you subscribe that way uh, mm-hmm. whenever we get to getting them out if there's a delay if there's anything going on it'll just pop up in your newsfeed. you don't have to go uh, search it out so always smash that subscribe button for us and if you're liking the podcast please rate and review us i'll read every single review i curate only the good ones feed them to spencer his head is very very swollen at this point he thinks we get nothing but positive <laughs> reviews wait wait, really wait, awesome. wait wait we don't you told nothing me. but positive nothing but positive good good absolutely Glad to hear it. uh but i do enjoy reading the reviews and if you have any feedback for us on the podcast things that you like don't like would like to see want us to remove go to mangumtalks.com up right hand corner click contact us fill out the form it will come right to my inbox and i will read it and if it's good if it's something that we can use on the podcast we will absolutely talk about it on pod okay enough with the housekeeping Let's jump into our segments. Our segments start, as always, with Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince our audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted puts it. Ted also gets a dig in on tea in this episode. He's couple, bringing it yeah. back. He, he goes after tea yet again. Um, and then we have Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer brings a dessert. We do a recap. Spencer leads the recap. We do train wreck of the episode Sports Center Top 10 and round everything out with a heartwarming version of Ted's life lessons of the episode. All right, I think we can start with dessert. Uh, let's do biscuits with the boss, Spencer. What do you have for us this week? Well, you are. Uh, I think my love of Costco and all things I can buy in pallet form from that place are well known. Uh, Man we, loves Costco. 
Uh, we decided to get a dessert from Costco, which I've not tried yet, so I better like it because we have like 40 of them sitting on our counter now. But this is a sugar powder dusted uh, fresh baked croissant stuffed with strawberry filling. Holy uh, moly. It is that the size huge. It is the size of a full fledged plate. If I pass that about halfway through the episode, I expect you to pick up the baton in the middle of my sugar crash. But that is I, real, that's probably like a foot and a half long. Uh, it is colossal, yes. I'm not quite sure how I'll make it through it. We'll find out. But I will be nibbling on that over the course of the episode, uh, starting here as you introduce your tea. I love the idea of you walking around Costco with your girlfriend saying, well, i got to get something for the pod. And then, of course, in Costco, there's no buying one. Oh, so God, no. then you bring home, you know, 15 foot and a half long strawberry croissants that you have now have to deal with. And if you listen to our other pod, Mangum Talks, which is just a sort of general podcast where we get on and gab about all kinds of general interest stuff, you will know that Spencer doesn't throw food away. Oh. He has talked about this before on the Mangum Talks pod. So when he goes and gets the Costco amount of strawberry croissants, he's going to eat all of them. Those are, those are going to be eaten in the Spencer Leach household. This is one of those moments of where I better like it because I'm eating it regardless. No, nothing will be thrown out if I can get it down my throat. Okay, so that is what Spencer has for us. He's going to be just jacked up on sugar. He can come at us like a spider monkey. I have a tea for everybody this week. And so, spoiler alert for later in the episode, tea uh, comes up again. Ted really takes on tea hard with Roy. He even posits that maybe the British are just fooling us, that they don't even really like it. Mm-hmm, they just mm-hmm. are trying to get us to drink it in some sort of sick, twisted uh, joke. So, in that vein, you know, with this, with this idea that no one could possibly like tea, I decided to go for the most entry-level tea I could think of. If you're not a tea person, I got something for you. I've talked about different tea brands before. I've talked about some British teas. I've talked about some, like the Republica tea, I think I did last time. Sure. This is a tea brand. And if you know anything about tea, you're going to roll your eyes. But just hang with me because I'm with the newbies here. I'm with the, the casuals, the people who don't mess with tea very often. The brand is called Teavana. It is a... Very popular sort of um, in vogue tea brand. It's like on the list of like Oprah's favorite things. <laughs> gotcha. It actually shows up in like some some malls. Like if you have like um, like an upscale mall, you may have a Tivana store where they actually have a whole storefront of just Tivana. And what they specialized in specialize in is blends of tea that are just very easy to the palate. You know, like think about something like a um, Lapsang Souchong, for instance, tea, where it's really smoky and it's complex. This is not complex stuff. It's like berries, fruit, aromatics, <laughs> mm-hmm. little light touch of caffeine, a lot of white tea blends. And that's what I've got for you here from Tivana. This all of their tea is uh, branded. So like it's like um, it's like ice cream where you like you go in an ice cream store and they say, I got Funfetti. And you're like, OK, I don't know what that is. Right. Tivana kind of does that. So they're they're. The brand I'm, uh, the, the type of tea that I'm uh, trying today is called Youth Berry. This is what they branded it as. It's a white white tea blend, which they describe as notes of wild cherry blossom, and their caffeine level is two out of four. So it's about halfway up with the tea, uh, or the caffeine level. Um, I would I would say that if I could get Ted in a room, I'd give him some tea on a tea, because it's kind of kind of hard to say it's not good. You can say it's not my cup of tea, as it were. But you can't say it's bad. You can't uh, say it's bad tea. Do you think Ted would still say it was bad? No, I think he would have some sort of like, holy moly, that tastes like warm lemonade. 
I can picture Ted saying it now. Anyway, there you go. That's uh, that's out there for you. If you've if you're lukewarm on tea, uh, the man puns are just rolling off me today. If you're lukewarm on tea, I say go for Tivana. It's a little expensive, but um, it's very pleasurable. Uh, very very pleasurable. Very very easy in- introductory tea. Okay, there you go. We've done biscuits with the boss and tea time with Lee Spencer. I think it's time to go in the recap. Yeah, we have our comfort foods. Now let's go into our comfort show. We open with apparently a bit of a time jump. It seems like they're suggesting here that a few games have been played in between the last couple episodes, given that there's a description of Roy's performance, <coughs> including, most recently, a tragic loss between Richmond and playing Arsenal, where Roy was apparently directly responsible for it, with an own goal, even. The uh. media is just... Yeah. Media is just lashing into him. He is the utter focus of their of their scorn right now. Discussing his increasing run of turnovers, his own goal today, his general decline as a player. And Roy is sitting there in just a perfect amount of self-loathing, watching all of this in what resembles a municipal garbage can full of nothing nothing but water and ice. The man Somebody is order soaking. Roy on the rocks? As was said by Ted, yes, that is exactly what this is. He is doing the worst thing he possibly can do after what is clearly a painful moment for him. He is just stewing in it. Ted walks in with the clear goal of trying to make light of the situation and get his player to stop dwelling on his own you know, self-viewed sins. Where Roy just wants him to acknowledge that he fucked up. Roy really wants Ted just to say, you fucked up, this is your fault. But that's not in Ted to do that. Rather than saying that Roy lost the game, he just says that Roy had a bad day, big whoop. And you're beating up, you're beating yourself up like uh, Woody Allen playing the clarinet. I don't want to hear it. Interesting way to put it by Ted. Uh, even better, while this is going on, we hear in the background the news media, in transitioning away from bashing Roy, is going to complimenting Jamie on how well he's doing with Manchester City right now. I'm uh... sure just even more salt in the wound for Roy. Roy. You know, Ted eventually leaves because Roy doesn't really want to hear it right now, even if he probably appreciates it at the back of his head, and just asks to be left alone in his ice bath in the dark watching the news. That lasts about five seconds before Ray of Sunshine Danny runs in, jumps on the treadmill, and just starts singing. As we go into the credits, I'm going to steal this fire from you, a minute 51 into the episode, Lee, is this a record? Yes, it's the fastest. We we just beat the last episode. It's getting shorter and shorter. It's almost like they're they're starting to scrap the cold open idea. Um, but yeah, this is the this is the new number one for fastest to get to the credits. Okay, leave the intro behind, and now we're on Rebecca, who is apparently having a bit of a model shoot done in the locker room of the Richmond team. Hey, Spencer. Uh, yeah. Question for you: How does she look? <sighs> she looks great, man. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Spencer's got a crush. You know, I had almost forgotten about it. Clearly, the audience had forgotten about that detail. Could always count on you to bring that back into our memories. Shame, shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was shame. in Game of Thrones. Good callback. Hey, uh, Spencer. One one thing I want to point out. I just realized. Yeah. Tivana is owned by Starbucks. That's so, that's so fucking perfect. Okay, that's it. That's all. I'm okay, most basic of all teas available. Thank you for proving. I this. should go, I should go back and scrap my entire explanation of Tivana and just go Tivana owned by Starbucks. Nothing more need be said. Uh, for this profile, it's apparently being done on women in football, which, according to Rebecca, has a very limited selection. It is her, uh, Karen Carney, sports journalist, broadcaster, former professional football player with an extensive pedigree of World Cups and Women's Championships and also Summer Olympics. Uh, Delia, who I think is Delia Smith, the joint majority shareholder of Norwich City. And 
Posh Spice, Victoria Beckham. Ooh, somebody did their research. Don't ask me to ever do it again. You cannot count on me actually putting in legwork. Look at uh, that. Impressed? She has said it's really trying to write this off as being a not a big deal at all, even though she's really having fun with it. And Ted, seeing she's having fun, wants to convince her of that fact. He goes in while the model shoot's still going on and he says, Ooh, watch your back, Kate Moss, new bad girl on the British modeling scene. Which makes Rebecca laugh. He drops off the biscuits and then they discuss the idea that, you know, this may actually be an inspiration to, you know, little girls in eggplant colored power suits dreaming of being sports executives someday. At least they share a chuckle over the subject and idea. From here, they go on to Higgins quitting, which is a really interesting topic because Ted clearly knows that it happened, but I would doubt, and I don't think we have any reason to believe, he has any ideas to the reasons for why it happened and just kind of assumes that Higgins will come around. Rebecca, wanting to get away from that conversation, transitions it over to asking how the team's doing, because she knows that they must be heartbroken over the last loss. She is, too. Which she says, just in time for Keeley to arrive. You've said that Oh, Keeley's, are you? <laughs> as you said, Keeley is, the ma- is just the utter master of an entrance. She does the perfect moment to arrive on the scene, and this was that. Mm-hmm. Ted, of course, being utterly sarcasm blind, does not pick up on what she's saying here and just asks Keely about Tom about the uh, Tom Ford call that she apparently made, which we assume, given that Tom Ford is a you know fashion company, was about a modeling opportunity for her. Quickly revealed that no, apparently he asked Keely to call on his behalf to see whether they wanted to put him up for a model shoot. To which well, they... well, to be fair, Keely did was going around saying, "Okay, well, you should you should try to endorse the things that you like." So I could yeah. totally see Ted spinning out and being like, "Well, that Tom Ford's pretty snazzy," and so she took him at his word and made the offer. They refused politely, presumably, but said, "In the future, if they do an Everyman campaign or something satirical, they'll keep him on file." Ow. <laughs> I know, and Ted goes, yeah, that's pretty good right there. Yeah, t- t- <laughs> Ted can't be put down by basic insults, sir. They go right off his back. Keely pulls Rebecca away, and they go into what appears to be a almost literal footlocker. And a shoe room. A shoe room. And Keely immediately calls Rebecca a right floppy cock. I love British insults so much. You're being a right floppy cock, Rebecca. Rebecca's apparently delaying telling Ted for the reasons that imagine doing something unforgivable to someone who doesn't deserve it and having to look them right in the eye and tell them what you've done. Clearly a hard thing to do. However, Keely is not that sympathetic because she's lived this moment before in her life. Pulls a Spencer. You think I did this when I was 13? <laughs> Let's just lay that out there. I thought I could just is... slip it in. <laughs> no, this was not part of my experience. I, at age 13, was, for one, not a 13-year-old girl, and two, did not poop in a friend's locker. Man, that's Didn't tough, happen. man. Keely, Keely was cutthroat at that age. I, I love she also has no explanation for it other than I was 13 and teenage girls are mysterious, dark, and dangerous. A repeated line like three times in this episode for some reason. Well, Ted earlier says little girls are mysterious, silly, and powerful. And I believe yeah. the last one that Rebecca says is three different adjectives. So they're kind of all... And they're mixing they agree. They agree that little girls are something, but exactly what they are, it's hard to nail down. Well, I think they all agree that little girls are mysterious. And I think that may be proven by the fact that none of them can actually, you know, put their finger on exactly in what way they're mysterious. Yeah, mysterious is the common denominator. Uh, apparently, though, despite shitting in her locker, she told her friend they patched things up the next week and things continued on. 
Nate walks in, makes a <laughs> killer shoe joke, immediately swallows it, stuffs as many shoes into his mouth as he possibly metaphorically can, and promptly walks away, awkwardness embodied in avatar form. So I've got a theory here. I think Nate slipped into a hey doll. Remember remember hey doll, Nate? Yes. He so he kind of slips into that because he says, hey, look, I mean, come on, ladies. Like he calls them ladies. <laughs> He calls ladies, it even like looks him up and down a little bit. It was like, Nate, you're not in the bar. You haven't had three drinks. What the hell are you doing? Which he realizes about midway through doing that. Nate, Nate Bond. <laughs> Very much so. Rebecca's all bluster right now. Just says, you know, what's the point in telling Ted now? It won't change anything. To which Keeley drops an atomic bomb with saying, it would change how I feel about you. Yeah. Oh, God, that one hit hard. Rebecca's Ooh. facade crumbles instantly from the, just the sheer sincerity of that line. And because, more than anything, Keeley's opinion of her matters to her. That's not something she can just brush away and throw out with the garbage. So here's the thing. Here's where we've gotten to at this point in the in the rundown. And in, in the season. At this point, it's almost unassailable that Rebecca is a good person at heart. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we've been building toward it. But the fact that like this is what ultimately propels Rebecca to go tell the truth is like she wants Keely to not think bad of her. Like, and we know Keely is bomb, right? Keely's yes. really cool. So I just feel like they this this episode is a culmination of um her transformation from that sort of evil, impersonal, impersonal um sort of witch that we had at the in, in the first episode. And we've at, the, at this point, I think, is now when you can have the clean break and you can just say, OK, let's go ahead and lump Rebecca in with the good crowd. Yeah, it's and been... by the way, in this in this show, everybody's a good crowd. I think the only one on the bad crowd left is Rupert, right? Everybody, yeah. everybody else is redeemable. Yeah. And even as we see in the last episode, the, he still has some complex facets to his character, even though he is just an absolute prick. Uh, but yeah, Rebecca's character arc for the last nine episodes coming to this point is delightfully, you know, complete and believable. And I love it. Yeah. Totally. Uh, Ted, meanwhile, is in front of the media. Again, we're talking about character arcs. How far has this guy come since Fizzy Water in episode one? I've watched a lot of sports press conferences. I've never, ever seen somebody control a room like Ted is controlling it right now. I mean, I'm talking like Mike Krzyzewski, um, <laughs> wow. Bill Belichick, uh, Greg Popovich. I've never seen somebody have them on their fingers like this. He has, he has absolutely become a Jedi with this. Very, very good, Ted. The folks he with. The folksy wisdom and way of expressing himself helps. Because he describes their final game is that their goal is to go out like Willie Nelson on a high. Wonderful way of putting that. <laughs> he calls on Trent Krim, who he uh, thinks he thinks says, oh, of the uh, Daily Planet, right? No, no. Independent. Gotcha. Sorry. Got it wrong. Uh, I love that Trent doesn't acknowledge the joke. Trent Krim, independent. Just how he introduces himself. Who asks a very important question. Uh, many of your young players have improved under your tenure. That's a hell of a compliment coming from Trent. As it really is. is. Yeah, it really is. Um, Roy Kent, not so much. He played dismally the last match. He's clearly going downhill. What is your strategy with respect to him? To which Ted just says, Roy's the backbone of the team. He's our captain. That's all he's really going to say about that. Ted then plays an obvious introvert trick and in asking for anybody who's an introvert to raise their hand and ask a question. None of these people saw that one coming. <laughs> Points out that an actual introvert would have been quiet as a church mouse, quiet as a church mouse during this entire thing, except for those Westboro Baptist Church, 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 church mice, who are turkeys that won't shut up. 
One thing he does here is that when he gets the question about Roy, he goes, look, I think if you asked Roy, he himself would admit it wasn't his best game. Yeah. Um, and that, that Coaches need to steal that line because, too, I mean, there's a lot of coaches, um, and I follow the NBA really close. There's a lot of coaches in the NBA who are, like, players, quote, players coaches, and usually that just means they played in the league before. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, like, want to, like, take the back of their guy after a bad game, right? Guy has a bad game, and they, they jump right out and say, look, we're asking a lot from Chris, okay? We're asking a lot for him. He's doing a lot for us defensively. Like, take this one. Like, hey, yeah. I think if you ask Chris, he would have told you this isn't his best game. It's a really, um, really reasonable thing to say. Shout out it, to Ted. Though. It's it's easy. It's honest. It's not criticizing or brutal. And it, it, it earns a certain measure of trust that you're even willing to say that kind of thing. Um, press conference ends. Ted goes back to his office and is immediately confronted by both Nate and Beard. They have collectively determined that Ted needs to take Roy out of the starting lineup. Mm. It's a rough statement. It's a rough conversation, but he's showing his age. He's made significant mistakes in the last five matches, which is, again, sign we may have had a bit of a time jump here. And it was only the last one that it really mattered, uh, where they ended up with their butts having teeth marks. The... As Beard expresses, the kind that you usually have to pay for, which Nate will have questions about here in a minute. That's the own goal, I think. That Beard did the own goal. That that was a mistake that lost them the game. Whereas the other ones, it seems like they either won or they tied or they soldiered through them without it being as apparent. All right. Ted, having heard Beard and Nate's advice, does the kind of polite brush off. He just, you know, acknowledges their complaints, accuses them very directly to their faces of being wrong, but that shouldn't stop them from bringing some more things to him in the future, and then just says, Roy is our captain. And so is it really polite? Because, I mean, he he dismisses them like pretty quickly and pretty, I think, harshly. It's Southern bless your heart style of polite. It's like official ethics, but practically, particularly from him, it's a kind of it's a kind of abrupt brush off. Yeah, it seemed like um, I don't know. Of course, what we see later in the episode, um, uh, it does seem I guess, and maybe maybe it's the episode after this, but uh, either way, Beard clearly it hurts Beard's feelings. It, we see it in this episode. Uh, we we see Beard literally standoffish before this episode is done. Um, one of the things that drives Ted out the door, particularly uses an excuse, is that he has gotten text from Rebecca that just simply says, "We need to talk." Mm-hmm. Goes up to her office, sits down. And she proceeds to go into what is one of the more impressive acts of procrastination I've ever seen, to the point that she goes into an an Oxford English Dictionary exploration of the origins of the word itself. Which, that is a way of doing procrastinating, really getting back to the roots there. Having gotten thoroughly lost in that and realizing that she's not at all ready to go forward with this, she punts on having the meeting. Ted does a cute kind of little rewind trick. And... And leaves. And Rebecca tries desperately to get herself in order, which is something I do all the damn time when I'm doing things that stress me out and I don't particularly want to do. She talks to herself. She processes it. She breaks it. She gets her breath ready. She stands up. She goes to the door to go get Ted again. Uh, However, before she can, uh, Rupert has arrived. Fucking Rupert. I mean, of all the times for him to show up. Uh, you want to you want to talk about people that are capable of an entrance? I know you give Keeley a lot of credit, but Rupert is the grandmaster of the entrance when it is the worst moment possible for him to arrive on scene. Yeah, for sure. They discuss Higgins being fired, which Rupert uh, seems like he's a little bit surprised and offended by because he always thought him to be top class, except for his uh, apparently pen nibbling habits. 
and makes an off comment, which isn't explained, that maybe he'll accept my offer now. I was wondering if you caught that, because that was a, it's almost said under his breath. And it's like, it actually should um, really give you a lot more warm and fuzzies for Higgins, because I'm yeah. sure that Rupert is offering him more money. I, the fact... I, I wondered to what degree Rebecca processed it or not, because it shows a profound amount of loyalty to either her or the team that I don't think she fully understood beforehand. Because yeah. previously she thought she was he was just a hired goon that she could throw more money at <clears throat> and he'd be loyal. And recent events in this now revelation have really proven that not to be true. Anyway, Rupert is here to discuss something with Rebecca that he wants to tell her it first before she reads about it in the papers. What a guy. It's really nice of him to do that. Don't you just feel the courtesy coming off him when he does this kind of gesture? Ugh. Apparently, him and Bex are having a baby. I was wondering if you were going to call her Bex, because he calls her Bex there, and it makes me want to vomit. I'm, I'm going to keep calling her <laughs> Bex rather than to the old new Rebecca thing. It works. Uh, Rebecca is truly shocked by this, primarily because he didn't want to in the past with her. He really brushes that off just you know literally says to her face i thought we both could be mature about this which is so goddamn condescending she notes mature you're 70 this is practically biblical at this point what are you a character from the fucking bible when your child hits puberty you'll be nothing but a pile of dust on a black amex card god what a great um just uh rage induced monologue there from from rebecca that was Some pretty strong proper brow beating going with that one he says, though, that he's changed, and what he's realized is that he just didn't want to before, saying without saying, with you. Which cuts her to the core. His little, com- you know, smiling comments about it, just about finding the right person, you know? As he just, like, thanks her that they could, you know, talk about this, and walks out the door, is she's left really in tears from this exchange. This is just Rupert finding an entirely new way she hadn't even pondered to hurt her after all this time. So do you think Rupert came to tell her because he thought he could hurt her more by doing it face-to-face? I think, no, I don't honestly, I think he's so self-absorbed, I don't think he fully processed how much this would hurt her right now. I think he actually intended this to be a kind gesture to go tell her rather than her hearing about it in the papers. Hmm. Which I can't get a real read on Rupert. He might be the only character um, of this show that I feel like is one dimensional. Um, I don't get a lot that's like going on behind the scenes with him. So I kind of feel like they just throw things at his character. Like they just give him scenes to sort of as a disruptor. And I, I don't get a lot of like his character being rounded out. So I can't kind of predict what his motivations are. The closest thing we get to an element of three dimensionality associated with him is his legitimate unbarred love of the team. And seemingly love of the fans, too. That is, I don't think, in any way a facade. He really does care about the team and want them to do well. Part of the reason that Rebecca's going after it so heavily. It is the one thing in her words that he cares about. But, I mean, here's the thing. When you're a sports fan, um, or if you follow sports very closely, um, it's kind of hard to separate where the owner cares about a team or an owner cares about his own ego because the team is so wrapped up in him, right? Like, I mean, even Donald Sterling, who's like the worst human being possible, loved the Clippers. <laughs> well, why did he love the Clippers? He loved the Clippers because he felt like it was a rep- their success was like a representation of his own like ego or whatever. So, like, I don't know. I can't 
can't necessarily give him credit for that the same way I would like a traditional fan, because it might just be him wanting to advance his own ego. We're going to discuss a scene in the final episode and unpack it, because I agree. It is ambiguous, and we have only so much to go on. But we will return to this point when it comes up again in the final episode. Yep. Uh, Rebecca kind of walks in a teary-eyed trance while piano joint this kind of love by Michael uh, Michael Kiwanuka, I believe pronounced his name. Um, lovely song. Question for you. Do you look up the... the the um songs now because you know i've done it uh yeah i like i I, I was legitimately offended you were better prepared than me on a few of these points in the past so i have actually have i have a uh song track list saved that i can refresh myself on each each episode oh man your way is better than me i just shazam when it's playing uh but that i only asked because that was a real hard one to catch what it was it was kind of playing softly in the background and you didn't get a lot of it I literally Googled Ted Lasso episode whatever soundtrack, and there is a separate listing of every single song, and you can just click on them and play them as they go. It's lovely. Well, well your way is better than mine. Uh, as, she, as, the, as the song is playing, she walks very much in a trance through the locker room, the team rapidly covering up as she does. And Doesn't wa- care. Woo! Yeah. Walks in on Ted's office saying that he's got she has something to tell him. And she really lays it all bare. After can I pause you here? What? Can I pause you here? Yeah. Uh, I mentioned as a tease, um, as they say in the business, at the beginning of this episode, that I had a favorite scene. This is it? This is it. This is my favorite scene scene. of everything I've ever seen in Ted Lasso up to this point. This is it. Do you have it written down? Uh, Yeah, I do, actually. Please, sir. You had me perform my favorite scene. I want to hear it from you. Yeah, sure. So, uh, basically, she, she explains... Uh, that she sabotaged him. She set up the picture, the interview with Ted Krem, independent, and she traded Jamie Tart. She explains that she wanted to hurt Rupert, quote, and I didn't care who I used or who I hurt. I didn't care who I used or who I hurt. All you good people just Mm. trying to make a difference. I thought that was an interesting line. Ted, I'm so sorry. Ted listens, pauses, beat, shakes his head, gets up. I mean, really letting this breathe they really let oh, yeah. ted's reaction breathe and then he just looks at her and says i forgive you divorce is hard and it doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or you're the one you got left it makes folks do crazy things i'm coaching soccer for heaven's sakes in london i mean that's nuts this job you gave me has changed my life gave me the distance i need to see what was really going on you and me we're okay oh my god oh Spencer. god I was in tears, literally, literally the first time I watched it was in tears. And even like and when I'm watching it again, or even just saying those lines, like, I mean, it like, it really hits me emotionally only because like, not necessarily because like, I'm, I'm so invested in these characters. It's that they were able to, in this scene, like give a representation of what true forgiveness, oh, yeah. true empathy, the really power is. of forgiveness, really right there. It's amazing. I've, I've almost never seen forgiveness this well played out on screen because I love the little reactions that go into it too. Like, like you said, Ted's processing of what he, of what she says, with him almost visibly flinching and even swallowing when she tells him what what she did about Jamie Tart. That one hurt him. Yep. And then the buildup of where you just imagine what's going through Rebecca's head about what's he going to say, why is he standing up, why is he approaching me. She even like tries to, in some ways, cut him off by saying, you know, if if you want to tell the press or quit, I fully understand. Just like. In some ways, just almost trying to head him off at the pass a little bit from what I, how she expects he's going to blow up. And then he lays that out to her. It's it's an incredible scene. Yeah, and like I think that 
you know, people are going to talk about this, and we just did, in, in terms of forgiveness. And that's fair, right? Because Ted does forgive her from a legitimate grievance. Like, she really has harmed him, mm-hmm. and he forgives her. But I think we really need to view this through the lens of empathy. That's a good call. Because he's he's empathizing with her situation, which he's, you know, very qualified to do. He's just gone through it. But I just think it's like, we'll get to Ted's lessons, right? But, like, it it is a lesson in, like, you know, to true like to be able to like forgive someone, um, oftentimes you can get there uh, through trying to put yourself in their shoes. That's it. Absolutely. And I mean, let's let's go. Let's finish the scene off. I mean, after he says this, he goes in for the handshake, which, at this point, with that statement, with that profound moment of human empathy, that is in no way sufficient. No, she gives him the big hug, and then in my notes. All caps. Yay. Same team. Let's do this. That's what I've got. Because uh, we finally get Rebecca and Ted on the same team. I've been shipping these two since episode one. Mm-hmm. I love their dynamic. And now, you know, you got them to like just at an interpersonal level, them two now on the same team. But also, let's go Richmond right now. Yeah. But now everybody in house is all um, all yeah. together for this common goal. And then Ted wraps it, drives it home. Oh, my God. Clean up hitter here with this quote. I think that if you care about someone and you got a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together. A powerful line to which she she raises an interesting question, but you're not just talking about us right now, are you? Which I'm presuming she's the referencing Richmond there when, when, when she asked that, right? I didn't have a real good answer. I there. didn't know for sure either. It's an interesting little line, particularly how coy he is when he responds to it. Yeah, I, I felt like. They left that vague enough for us to really read into it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could say that he's talking about Richmond, like, hey, you know, his way, basically is a representation of his coaching, right? If you can instill love and like actually caring about this thing in your player's heart, then maybe you'll accomplish something greater, right? That's the Ted Ted Lasso leadership strategy. But I didn't know. I mean, it could have been other relationships that Rebecca has. It could have been maybe even between the two of them. I, I didn't. I didn't think it was very clear. No, it really wasn't to be too, and I can kind of enjoy the ambiguity associated with it. Because it's really, we're almost just looking in on a character moment between two people of where they understand each other better than we can. And we can just understand as we go. Yeah. We get a lovely line from Ted here at the end about, nice seeing you down here, boss. You liven up the place as he walks out and leaves her the room. My favorite scene of the show right there, ladies and gentlemen. Powerful scene, good choice. The team is at training. Uh, we get another lovely Or te- practice or training or whatever the hell it is. It, Ted's never consistent on it. We don't have to be either. Yeah, but I mean, he actually hits her with that quote, right? As he's leaving. Yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah, I'm, he going to, I'm going to practice or training. training. Or back, what, who cares? Whatever it is. <laughs> uh, they discuss the idea that, you know, your body's like day old rice. If you don't warm it up right, something bad can happen. Rice is really a surprising food that can come back to bite you in the ass if you don't practice proper procedures of nuking before you eat it. Okay, here we go. Uh, life lessons with Lee. Um, to all the kids out there, um, this is absolutely a great line. It's a it's a great metaphor uh, or analogy, however you want to, you want to put it. That, that day old rice can get you sick, like you just talked about there, Spencer. So, little life lesson here for everybody: um, take it or leave it. But I, I I suggest you take it. Get a rice cooker. You got a warm oh, you got a warm feature on that rice cooker. It'll keep it warm for you. Keep the bacteria out. You can eat it for a couple days afterwards. There you go. That one's for free. I didn't get a rice cooker until you know Bridget and I got together. Uh, I can't go back to the old method. A rice cooker is the greatest invention known to man in the, in the kitchen. I've got brown rice in my kitchen right now warming I made yesterday. I'll it's eat it today. Lovely. No threat of being sick. Anyway, all right, that's either 
neither here nor there. Uh, the team really is invested in this in this Ted metaphor and discussed the amazing ability of the human body to throw up and vomit at the same time. Now, I'm curious. This this is a, a common concept people talk about. Do Whoa. you have a word for the combination vomiting and throwing up, at the, uh, throwing up and pooping at the same time? Whoa, I was worried you were going to ask me a different question there. Um, <laughs> Save that one for later. Uh, no, I don't actually. Coming my, and going? Uh, my pref- that's a good one. My preferred one is actually, called, my preferred one I heard growing up for this one is the spins. Hmm. Well, I always, I always use the spins to mean like you're drunk. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's, I don't know, but I, uh, obviously a phenomenon that a lot of people are uh, very intimately aware of. It's a classic example of just how bad you can be without being dead is that kind of moment. And Danny, uh, or is that guy his name? Danny? Yeah, Danny's uh, the one that's fascinated about it, yeah. Yeah, 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 that guy. He's the he's the Ted in soccer form, um, who's like, yeah, it, you, the human body is really amazing. Like, <laughs> just such a little golden retriever. <laughs> uh, the team quickly changed, quickly set up new drills of where they're going to start doing, uh, basically change direction drills as fast as, change direction as fast as possible drills, um, which... You're going to have to explain this one to me, but Ted makes a reference to Kanye's 808s and a Heartbreak album not getting enough credit. Can you give me something to understand that one better? Put a pin in it. That one's coming up in the Sports Center Top 10. We will return. Uh, while this is starting to happen, the team's going into training, uh, Ted looks over at Beard and tries to start chatting him up. Beard, as said, is being literally standoffish <laughs> in the sense he's getting farther and farther away in terms of standing close to Ted. This is exactly what you did to me last episode. Every single dairy pun, you just got a little bit farther away. <laughs> it wasn't even intentional. I was just retreating into myself to escape the situation. <laughs> By the end of it, uh, Beard is standing at the complete other end of the pitch. Ted looks to his other side and sees Nate doing his thing as the kit man. But the moment Nate realizes that he's been seen, he runs away as if he didn't notice that Ted was there. So Nate's super awkward, but with Beard and Ted, didn't you get old married couple vibes there? This was so old married couple things. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I can imagine that they've done this before for years to the point that Ted knows exactly what's going on the moment it starts to happen. I think he even Mm. says it when it's starting to happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, the team at practice, Roy is clearly struggling. A lot of curse words. Definitely the slowest in his trio whenever he's running. Ends by even tripping over himself and falling flat on the pitch. To the point that even Ted, as Beard looks over at him, is struggling to deny what the obvious evidence is before him. Can we go back? Ted starts a joke. What does a British owl say? And because Beard's given him the silent treatment, Ted never finishes. Do we have any idea what the end of that joke is? Did not Google it. Have no idea. Is this like the Tyrion Lannister? Like a donkey walks into a a bar and... Like then that's it. Like you don't, you never get the end of it. <laughs> Without any small Aaron errors to say. And what happened next? Yeah, I don't know. Any anybody knows the answer to the end of that uh, that joke? If it's a commonly known joke, it might not be. There might just be something they made up. But if you know the answer, let us know. What does a British owl say? Back in her office, Rebecca is doing some work, and she looks down at the edge of her pen and sees that it is a Higgins nibbled pen. Aww. Immediately, it seems she drives right to his home in person. Yeah. To see Higgins, uh, and looks into the window to see Higgins in a very different state than she assumed that he was going to be in. <laughs> this is Higgins with a goatee, which he refers to specifically as a Van Dyke, up for the 17th century Flemish painter, playing upright bass in jazz style. Yeah, absolutely. And Shout out to you, Higgins. 
doing well, too, actually. I'm curious whether this was the actor really playing it or they just dubbed it in. Uh, she knocks in the window, promptly freaking him out. And we cut back to the stands where Roy is the most... So, mm-hmm. before, yeah, so he's playing the upright bass there. Um, and he's actually playing it jazz style. So when you you've, if you go out and buy an upright bass, right, you'll get like a bow. And if you're playing it like, you know, in like an orchestra, you, you'd play it with a bow. He, no bow in sight. He's just fingering it. So mm-hmm. he's absolutely just playing jazz music only, which is interesting, right? Because like, it's Britain. Like, I, are there a lot of jazz clubs? Like, I mean, it's a, it's an American art form. So I'm, it's interesting to me that he's immediately playing uh, just jazz. I will like to tell a little story about myself. Uh, I I play bass and uh, for years had an upright bass and played in multiple jazz trios and in an overall larger jazz band um, with a university. So there you go. Did not know that. Well, yeah. Well, it's it. Roy is. Would it be fair to say that Roy is tr- almost physically trying to be the loneliest man in the world when Ted walks up to him here? He's seemingly sitting alone in the very middle of the bleachers, just looking out at the empty pitch. He is just he is just absolutely asking for a little bit of perspective, which he gets a little later. Talk about feeling sorry for yourself. Ted walks over and immediately starts to procrastinate. Again, common theme about people having struck, struggling to say the hard things that need to be said throughout this episode. I saw a video of a kitten and a baby chicken becoming friends. You want to look at Pulls out his phone. Roy always, <laughs> common theme with Roy, cuts through it. He's not in a mood to waste time. Ted broaches the idea of the lineup and, you know, we've been talking about it. Roy again jumps in, knows right where he's going, and essentially accuses Ted of betraying him. Curses him, says he had my back, and storms off right away with Ted being left there alone. Well, let's not gloss over uh, the Shakespearean writing here uh, that we got from Roy. Um, <laughs> if you have it written took, down, go on. I don't know how long it took the writers to come up with this one, but here you go. You pretended to be a man of your word. You're fucking full of shit. You can go fuck yourself. Fuck you. <laughs> Again, wow. Roy is an efficient man. He's not around. He's not one to bandy words or waste time. He cuts to the core of it. Oh, boy. He's not, you know, by any definition, exactly being mature about this, but you can't really blame him either. This is Ted's moment and decision to make. He's the one that really needs to be the mature one here and act the coach, as will be discussed later in this episode. Yep. Back in Higgins' house. Higgins is staring legitimate daggers at Rebecca in a way we've not seen him before. Well, really intimidatingly strumming the bass one, one strum at a time. It, uh, it admits that the uh, beard makes him feel rather chill, while Mrs. Higgins hates it with a white-hot intensity. And this admission seems intentional on their part to kind of just break the mood. Because from here on out, the tension releases, and they start acting friends again. Yeah, because Rebecca asks, like, how's your wife like it? He's like, oh, she hates it. Like, there you go. Boom, boom. Back to a little bit of banter. Yeah. It's clear these two have a hard time hating each other with any degree. Um, they discuss that Ted now knows and has actually forgiven her, which they both agree makes him an absolute fucking asshole that he did that. Did you notice that like, yeah, it thaws a little bit with that joke about Higgins wife, but it, you talk about like where it really thaws and where Higgins drops any veneer of being angry is when he hears that Ted forgave her. I feel like th- that's a, that's a, um, indication of how much Higgins really trusts Ted because when he hears Ted like forgave her, he's like, Oh Oh, okay. Like, what? you talk about co-signing somebody. 
Well, it's, it's both that, and it's also, this was Ted's decision to make. It's not Higgins to begrudge Rebecca here. It was Ted's decision. That was why Higgins was so offended. It's why Higgins quit, was because what was happening to Ted. Now that Ted's hmm. okay with it, that's gone. He can't really begrudge that situation anymore because the guy that had the most right to do so has chosen not to. Interesting. I, I didn't think, I didn't take Higgins being angry to be uh, like 100% focused on what she was doing to Ted. I thought it was about the ball club. But I mean, in any sure. either case, it is, it is, it is still a very good point that like, you know, if anybody's going to be aggrieved here, it should be Ted, right? Uh, Becca, meanwhile, agree, uh, reveals that she came here to apologize. And it's short, but it's very sincere. Higgins mm -hmm. accepts it absolutely without reservation. And they discuss the idea that she lost her way but now she's kind of on the right path which is a lovely way to put the kind of life journey we've seen rebecca on the entire season i lost my way for a minute but i'm on the road back oh again you know it's not necessarily because like i've got 10 years of history with rebecca and higgins you know mm -hmm. it's just because they they throw in these situations or these lines where it's like so eminently relatable you oh, hear yeah. it and you can't help but think about like 15 different times in your life where you could have said that that sentence right it just makes it so powerful yeah you mean you can make somebody care through just stockholm syndrome of expose them to something long enough they're going to care or you do quality writing with relatable human moments and you can care in a heartbeat without years of background even behind it yeah absolutely uh meanwhile keely and roy are over <laughs> are with phoebe here. over in keely's house what a good scene. Apparently, Phoebe is the first child that has been there, uh, which Roy, of course, asks, well, what about Jamie? Chuckle, chuckle. <laughs> uh, and Keely is seriously concerned they can't let her go snooping because she might find a vibrator, which Roy responds, well, that'd be a problem because her mom said no electronics. Roy is funny, man. Roy's That's a great line. Funny. He's doing great here. Uh, <laughs> it is true that kids have a remarkable ability to find sex toys in any house they're introduced to. It's amazing their abilities in that regard. Speaking for speaking from experience, there. How about that? It, this, th these things come up. Yes, um, they just, Keely's kind of just really wondering why the hell Roy's there, and just starts talking about things like you know, is it fascinating that kids have new teeth that push out old teeth? Yes. Never look at a child's skull. It is just really creepy to look at all the teeth that are buried in that, under that gum line. Pretty but weird. Roy reveals though he's ready to talk. Uh, Keely decides she needs to set the appropriate fluffy couch atmosphere. Which, good God, is that the fluffiest couch I've ever seen before in my life? And fluffy pillows. Uh, very fluffy pillows. And Roy basically reveals that he's been the best player on every team he's ever been on. And that's Roy Kent. And he's really not ready to just be Roy. Just Guy Roy. Guy in the street Roy. He doesn't know what that is. He's not ready for it. Keely tries to make light of the situation pretty quickly. I think men who feel sorry for themselves are so sexy. Seriously, I do. If you start telling me how hard it is to play a game for a living, I think I'm going to, well, finish. You know, it's, I understand what she's going for here, and it is funny. But at the same time, Roy is really speaking from the heart. Well, but I think that, like, that's Keeley's charm, it right? Is. Because it I is. think if you just write this out on paper, you're going to be like, God, that Keeley's really being insensitive here. But it's she's just got a way of delivering these lines that like she gets her point across, but it somehow it's just not it doesn't it doesn't land as hard. And that's just like a skill she's got. She also has a great read on Roy and Roy's also a very sensible character that she knows he knows what he needs to do. And she knows that he knows he'll work his way through it. And so in some ways she's belittling it because she's just trying to get him to laugh at himself about what they're actually talking about. Um. Roy says, the, this is who he is. This is always ever known. It's 
all he is. It's not just a game to him. Meanwhile, well, while, after he says this, Keely calls Phoebe over, who apparently has been listening to Led Zeppelin for the first time with Cream to Come Afterwards, quality music. I will tell you a little story here once I'm done with this section. And asks her to close her eyes. And while her eyes are closed, describe your Uncle Roy. And she says, well, he says, she's, uh, he's her uncle. Uh, his beard is very scratchy. He buys her ice cream. He swears a lot. He's really funny. And she loves him. And this is heartrending. This is delightful. Though I'm left, given the quality of this kid's presentation, how old she is. Because she sounds way older than six when she delivers these lines. So here's another little lesson uh, from Uncle Lee. Don't ever try this because oh yeah, this is this is absolutely rolling the dice here. When you rely on a little kid to perform and make a point for you, here's how this would have gone in real life. Mm-hmm. Hey, come over here, Phoebe. Phoebe, please describe your Uncle Roy. Well, he plays football. Like that's exactly how that would have happened. <laughs> and he's the best football player, and all my friends love him because he's the best football player. Yeah, this is. <laughs> This is Keeley's lack of exposure to children that she thinks this one's going to work out well. But to her credit, her grand mastery of people, it does. And even it does Roy, work. <laughs> even Roy, by the end of this, can't help smiling a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Keeley wraps things up by saying, you know, you can't know what other people will think. The only thing that matters really is what you think about yourself. Excellent life lesson to be found there. Oh, sure. Now, little story from me. Uh, similar event okay. happened with me with my uh, three-year-old niece. Recent trip, we were playing a little game with her. You know, have you ever been around kids that just really love the word no and all its permutations? Like Absolutely. Any opportunity they have to deny or contradict whatever you're saying, they'll do. And so we were j- jokingly listening to music, and uh, little niece, Elena, was there. And we said, okay, uh, well, Elena, what do you want to listen to? And she was just saying no to everything we thought of. Like, yeah, you want to listen to One Direction? No. You want to listen to Justin Bieber? No. Every band we could think of from, you know, 90s forward. So we're just like, okay, we'll just do classic rock. What the hell? Uh, you want to listen to Rolling Stones? No. Beatles? No. Queen? No. ACDC? Yeah. Wait, what? She just threw out, yeah, she wanted to listen to ACDC. We then proceeded <laughs> for about four hours to just have nonstop ACDC playing over the computer in the main room while this little three-year-old jammed the hell out. I taught her the horns. She was dancing. She was pointing. ACDC is now her jam. Don't know how this happened, but I am all about it, dude. That's like a phenomenon now. Is like um, you can know because there's really not like rock music being made, and so like kids go back to like the old school catalog. Like my my um, my niece when she was in high school, uh, or I guess middle school now. It's been like years ago. Like she was like in like Corn and Limp Biscuit and stuff. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> but it's because that you know that music's not being made anymore. It's really kind of sad that like, if you listen to like rock on the radio, your options are the classic rock station or nothing. It's kind of a, alt rock. It, 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 yeah, alt rock is a weird definition. Mr. Jones and me. <laughs> on that note, uh, we cut to Beard at the pub. Uh, oh, gosh, I love this scene. It's an absolutely great scene. I adore this scene. While he's sitting there, he's staring over as his ex is playing chess with another man. I adore how this is just so obviously a personal target on him that the fan trio feel the need to come over to offer what appears to be really honest and legitimate support. Just like proper bros supporting a friend as they're seeing an ex willfully shove it in his face. I feel like this show is showing you a, a particular viewpoint 
of what's going on, but there are other shows that we're just not following. And like another show is what Beard is doing Mm -hmm. because like it's clear that he stays at this bar a lot. He's played chess with his girlfriend a lot there and that they all understand the implication of her playing chess with someone else. And he's like visibly upset as he's watching it. This is like a a guy at like a dance club, like in the corner watching his girlfriend make out with somebody else. Like that's, that's how physically he's acting this. And the guys are over like, dude, this is a really bad look. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I feel like there's a whole, whole episode going on here that we're just getting tangentially. That's such a lovely thing to point out. That is a demonstration of quality writing where you feel the character have lives outside of the narrow perspective we have through the screen and that's very much what we're getting here mm-hmm. uh, he tries to write it off and brush him off you know clearly appreciates it by just saying yeah she's playing her game Lovel, lovely double reference there mm-hmm. meanwhile beard has been waiting for ted all this time with four pints ready to go in front of him Jeez. good friend knowing what a friend needs apparently he very much thinks that ted could use a drink after telling roy they discussed the idea of what Beard's possible role would be in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You know, we'd be more of a cheap Bromden or, uh, in Beard's reference, uh, he feels he's more of a Tabor guy, which, did you catch what the end joke of that was? No. Uh, that is a movie reference to the idea that uh, Tabor in One Flew, Over, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the movie, was played by Christopher Lloyd, which Beard has made several references to Back to the Future before because they are plainly playing up the fact he looks more than a little bit like Christopher Lloyd. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, Ted, however, admits that he didn't tell Roy. But, 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 Roy figured it out on his own. He tried to. I tried to. Yeah. Beard doesn't say a word throughout all of this, but Ted's acting as if Beard is hyper-reacting to everything he says. So, didn't tell him, but Roy already knew. But Ted's already looking to reverse himself, though. That, you know, putting him on the bench, that won't just humiliate him. It could affect his livelihood. And again says, you know, to me, it's not about winning. It is, it's not how we measure our success. Beard is absolutely done with that shit. And damn it, it is. I understood the mission we were back in Kansas. But these are professionals and winning does matter. It matters to me. And, and that's, that's okay. okay. Yeah, great line. It's a great line. He's just truly sick of it. I mean, Ted's philosophy has a lot of legitimate merits. It deserves all the credit and all that it's accomplished. But in moments like this, this is the utility that Beard has to this team, is to get Ted back on track about, no, this is a team. This is a sport. This is a professional outing. Winning matters. And while the philosophy may have worked back in the day in college football, like you said, here with a professional team, it just doesn't work. And it's okay that you want to win. It's okay to both Beard. It's okay to May, who even feels the need to chime in during this conversation. And as Beard continues on, just how do you not get this? If we lose, we get relegated, and this is over, and we will have built nothing. If you want to pick a player's feelings over a coach duty and make a point, I don't want to drink with someone that selfish. And Beard, Ooh. on just a power moment, walks off with Ted. What would you say about Ted's face is here? He looks legitimately flabbergasted. Like, this is not a conversation that he and Beard have really ever had before. Yeah, I mean, you get the sense that, like, the cold shoulder thing that Beard was doing earlier is, like, kind of part of their uh, repertoire, but, like... This this like snapping that he does uh, is not something that maybe it's maybe a, a car like a, an ace up the sleeve, right, that he does not pull out very often. So it, it clearly blows Ted back. Uh, Beard walks off. Testosterone just yeah. coursing through the man. It's to the degree that it 
radiating out in the air, his girlfriend grabs him, declares that the sexiest thing she's ever seen in her life, and Beard just simply says, get your things. Turns back to the game she's playing, puts it into Checkmate, revealing that she's been toying with the uh, her new boy the entire time, and they go off together, a romantic couple and a romantic evening just beginning. Here's where my head was at at the end of this scene. I could totally see myself like just single guy walking into a bar. Good looking girl goes, hey, you want to play chess? And you're like, yeah. Like, I don't know chess that well. And then like I'm playing and I think I'm doing okay. And then this scene unfolds. I'd be like, damn it. Like, I feel like we should feel a little bit bad for the guy that she was playing chess with here. I just wanted to go out of a bar and not participate in some kind of couple role play right now. How can I avoid people humiliated because I'm not some chess star? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um. Ted appears to then drink alone all four pints, apparently, as Oop. Waving Flags by British Sea Power plays in the background. Love the there it is. this show. He walks out of the bar clearly more than a little drunk, or at least tipsy, uh, and proceeds to, again, repeated motif in the show, almost walk into traffic by mistake because he's looking in the wrong direction. But lo and behold, someone is there to stop him, and every fiber in my being assumed it was going to be Beard. But it's no. It's Roy. Roy has come to find Ted. Mm-hmm. They go back to Ted's place. Uh, Ted offers Roy basically everything possible that he has available, ranging from uh, finger-dipped peanut butter to two-day-old pasta water. They decide on notice. Tea. Notice that he uh, he offers both of these before tea, because in his <laughs> mind, both of these are better than tea. <laughs> Good call. Roy apologizes for blowing up on Ted and claims that he's usually much better at hiding his anger. Uh, Ted seems to think this is bullshit. I'm curious as to your thoughts. Is this just an obvious joke or is there a certain measure of truth in this? I think Roy was just joking around. I agree that he is. I also think it's more than it is a little bit true, too. The times we've seen Roy legitimately angry in the past, he's just growled or soldiered it or cursed and just briefly walked away. We haven't really seen him explode like this on another person ever really before. At least not someone like Ted. But they he to- apparently told his niece that he might not be playing. Know and- thyself. Rest in peace, Socrates. Oh, yeah. Great, great little quote from Ted there. Uh, Which I'd like to point out, Socrates actually said that, unlike the Walt Whitman quote from last episode that Walt Whitman probably didn't say. <laughs> Go ahead. Good call. Uh Roy told his niece they wouldn't be playing or might not be playing. And the little bastard apparently said immediately that she wanted to go get ice cream. And the little shit even said that she might watch the game anyway. Not might. Will watch watch the the game. game. (laughs) I love kids. That's so funny. Uh, They discuss actor changes on Fresh Prince and Ted's opinion that Alfonso Ribeiro is the best physical comedian possibly ever. Pull the break on the episode. I think we have to banter this around a little bit. Spencer. Who do you think is a better physical actor? I'm assuming you don't think it's Alfonso Rivera. I, I'm not, Who's a better one? I'm not going to go with Alfonso Rivera just because there's so many people out there. He's reasonably going to factor into something like maybe, a, I don't even know what the top of the list. He's a good physical comedian. I'll, I'll give him that much. Uh, I know I just threw that on you, so I'll go first. Um, so here's my picks um, in order. Um. One, Jackie Chan. Very good call. Hadn't thought about that, but that's an excellent full-body comedian right there. Two, Chris Farley. Chris Farley's excellent, too. 
Yeah, I thought the I thought that was my one, my one two for best physical actors. I, I would mention also up on that list, uh, Jim Carrey and Robin Williams, excellent physical actors. And they're, and they're, oh, well. another good, yeah, more better, yeah, those are good calls too. Yeah, I think all four of those better than Alfonso Rivera. Anyway, it's, it's a great show. He does a great job with it. May get a little bit too nostalgic glasses associated with that show at some point among our generation, but still great show. Have you tried to watch Fresh Prince recently? I've watched clips of it. There are definitely good clips, and there's a lot in between. I do not want to take a minute and just sit right there. <laughs> okay, good. Moving on. Uh, Ted offers to say that Roy's injured. Uh, Roy appreciates that because apparently he can use that to better market himself in the future. That if he wants to move next season to a different club that actually wants to start him, but right there, whatever. Or God help him if he has to go play <laughs> in America, where he would dominate, by the way. I just love his dislike of America. It's just like this little, there's like, I feel like the writer's room and Ted Lasso, they have to have like a big cork board where like, okay, here's all the running jokes. We're going to try to hit at least once every two episodes, right? Good call. Good call. Definitely the case. Ted would really prefer that he not go that route though, that he would much prefer if he's there on the bench being the team captain, regardless of the form he's playing in. Roy very much appears to agree to think about it. And then they discuss tea. Sir, you referenced this earlier in the episode. What kind of little witticisms does Ted have to say about tea here? Be honest with me. It's a prank, right? Tea? Returns folks on around. You know this tastes like garbage, right? Roy, I love it. <laughs> what did he then say? It's he like said, something it's sweat. Pi- it's pigeon sweat. Pigeon sweat. And Roy just goes, ah. As a guy who enjoys bird watching, I will reveal that birds don't have sweat glands, but the phrase pigeon sweat is delightful. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I I don't know, man. He he man, Ted has not Man, he needs some Tivana in his life. I think that would that would inch him in. <laughs> I wonder if people have just started nonstop sending the actor tea to try to see if they can get him all around board, not realizing it's the character. Who knows? Maybe Jason Stake is also in like tea. We'll find out. Yeah. Back in Rebecca's office. Higgins has returned, and him and Rebecca are talking. Ted arrives for biscuits with the boss and seems legitimately surprised, maybe, maybe not, that Higgins is there. Higgins! He offers uh, Rebecca her share of biscuits and appears to claim that he was prophetic and has biscuits for uh, Higgins as well. Jokingly seemingly playing off that they may have been intended for Trent's daughter, but she's, you know, not going to be disappointed or whatever else. Kids forget things. But it's kind of left a little bit ambiguous when Higgins opens the box at the end and sees that these are very heavily done up, seemingly in child form biscuits. Who could be sure? I think they're for Trent Graham's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. They he probably again, went home and made more. This is, again, I think our third reference now to the idea of girls being silly and playful and mysterious. Mysterious has to be in there, but the actual other things they are differ, differs every time in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. And down in the locker room. Ted is surveying the room with Roy notably not there. Beard and Nate, though, are standing there in lockstep beside him. Nate feeling the need to apologize for walking away from him earlier, apparently to the degree that he had nightmares about it. Uh, Ted immediately accepts uh, his, his apologies, but also reminds him that he also needs to apologize in his dream, too, so that they're okay there as well. Mm-hmm. Ted, repeated theme there, really believes that there's an entirely separate life in dreams that we just overlap with every now and then. And that he's going to interact with all these people in dreams. I don't. I I very rarely dream about my friends. Like, yeah, very rarely happens. It, random events, usually from like you know seventh grade Spanish class. That's my dreams. Uh, Roy, however, before Ted can even start, walks in, uh, revealing the reason he was delayed was that Phoebe found the vibrator after all. As said, they are bloodhounds for those things, and 
proceeds to suit up, putting on the second team jersey, and immediately takes command of the room, revealing that today, the second team is going to kick ass. Yeah! yeah. The crowd is jazzed, everybody's ready to go out in the pitch, Ted needs to say nothing further, and we get a remarkable long scene over the credits. I don't think we've really had a scene like this before. Uh, they just let the room play in long form as the credits begin to roll. Uh, the locker room and the team heading out to the pitch. Everyone's still coming over to show Roy the respect he deserves. As he's there left, the last to leave. And before he does, as he walks out to the pitch, he reaches up and gives the believe sign a bit of a touch. While leader of the landslide that the Lumineers plays in the background. And I gotta admit, I didn't actually notice this. I think when the credits started to play, I cut off the episode the first time I watched it. But on repeat, seeing Roy there alone reach up and touch the believe sign... I got a bit misty at that. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, it, you know, it's, again, it's, um, I don't know. It's just, I feel like possibly the biggest theme of this show, there's many, many themes, but possibly the bigger, biggest one is leadership. I yeah. mean, that's what they keep returning to is leadership over and over again. And you see it from different people in different ways. I mean, Rebecca shows you leadership from time to time, right? Um, but you also, I mean, obviously you see it from Ted and now you're here, you're seeing it, um, from Roy where, you know, you, you'd let your ego get out of the way for the team and he's, it's the perfect representation of doing that. Mm-hmm. I believe we're ready to move on from here though, unless you have any fur- yeah. further to say on the recap. There you go. Another recap from Spencer here in week nine of this. I like it, Spencer. Thank you very much for going through the recap. I know that doing those notes is not easy, so I very much appreciate it. Let's. Let's go to let's transition to train wreck of the episode. I think this is a very interesting one this episode. Cuz up until the final 5 minutes I would have said Roy. I don't know who to say. Everybody ended up better off at the end of this episode. I, who lost? Who's the train wreck? I don't have a choice here. I got it. You tell me cuz I got nothing to offer. Beard's ex-girlfriend. Oh god. That's how deep I had to go. <laughs> I, you know, my fallback. I didn't even want to say it was the guy that Beard's ex-girlfriend was with. That's there's, who else do we say in this episode? Well, Trainwreck is not just a. It's not loser of the episode, right? Yeah. It's also kind of like who was who kind of is a bad look for them. It, and I think fair. it's a bad look for for what? Beard's ex-girlfriend to be like doing the jealous thing out in the open in front of everybody, and then to turn on a dime simply because Beard tells his boss to fuck off. I don't know. Not, to, not digging it. The open question, though, is to what degree they're pl- they are just playing a game. We do have Beard ambiguously say she's playing her game as he looks on, and she's very much giving him eyes throughout her, her playing this game. Is she legitimately trying to sub it in his face, or is this a certain measure of role play that the two of these guys do? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But hard, I, to, hard I, to say. Hard I think to it's the closest we can say. Everybody. Even Rebecca, who had that horrible confrontation with Rupert, ended up great by the end of this episode. Had a culmination of her character arc. Roy, as you said, has some bad moments, but ends them in power. I think everybody else, all our main characters, are really accomplishing things this episode. Yeah, it's not a lot of losers this episode. Not a lot of train wrecks, actually. Um, You know, a lot of people are... um coming out better at the end of the episode. I think that's just kind of showing you where we're going, right? I yeah. Mean, second to last episode, uh, they don't want to la- end on a sour note for very many of these characters. And no. so everybody's kind of getting the culmination of some of their, some of their arcs. Like Higgins is a good example, right? Like he obviously, we, this was always coming. 
this sort of pushback on Rebecca's plan. Uh, the arc for Rebecca was always coming. It was always mm-hmm. going to, you know, uh, come to a point where she either it, it, what she's doing got found out or she had to tell people that that was always coming. So a lot of these arcs are kind of coming to the coming to an end here in the second and last episode. Agreed. Agreed. So I think we need to go on to our strict 10, only 10, top 10 moments of the episode. Sports Center top 10. Are you ready, sir? I agree. Absolutely. I am. As always, uh, I'll ask you to lead off. Uh, showing your children classic rock. My dad did the same thing to me on our very long drives all throughout the American Southeast. Got into classic rock as a result of that. Trying to do it with my various nibblings as well. It is something that you can give them that they will appreciate. Keep the genre alive. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that uh, don't do that. Um, because Fuck off. my mom. Well, my mom gave me the 60s. She gave me like Motown. Oh man! Um, which I'm like, you know, I didn't really know about classic rock until I got like in the late high school because my mom was always like pumping me full of like the Temptations and Aretha Franklin and Gladys Day and like, you know, good stuff. Uh, it's good stuff. Otis Redding. Uh, and I actually appreciate that maybe a little bit more. I don't know. Up for up for debate maybe. Uh, mine is the name of the episode. All apologies. All apologies. Obviously a Nirvana song. Spencer, do you ever listen? Do you ever go through a Nirvana phase? I've had moments where I've been very much enjoyed Nirvana. It's never been in my top five, but they're a great band. It's a great catalog. Yeah. Uh, so All Apologies is the 12th and final song on the band's third and final studio album. So it's basically the last song on the last album. Uh, the album called In Utero was released in September 1993. Uh, it's also a uh, little known fact here. Uh, my fourth favorite Nirvana song. Number one. I'm chalk all the way. I know I'm basic. Smells like teen spirit. Two heart-shaped box. (laughs) Two heart-shaped box. Three poly. And then four all apologies. That's my top four. Everybody loves smells like teen spirit. I mean, that's not a condemnation on your character there. It's It's a wonderful song. Yeah, I know, but picking it as number one, like uh, people who really like Nirvana are going to listen to this. Who doesn't really like Nirvana? Yes, I do. I just, it's a brilliant song. It's why I got so popular. Uh, I'm going to say leaving out pasta water for days on end. I felt for Ted there. That is something I do way more than I should. It sits on the counter until I need the pot again. Okay. I am going to stand up for you and stand up for Ted here. Here's the deal. Um, In a lot of recipes where you are cooking your pasta first and then you are at, you have a sauce that you're making that you're going to constitute into the the pasta in some way. Mm -hmm. A lot of the sauces require as part of the recipe, or it's just a good idea to add a little pasta water because the starch will help bind the sauce. So that's actually a good move on your part, my friend. Don't drain it all out. Like, you know, you know, use a little sifter to pull the pasta up out of it. So you have the pasta water sitting there just in case you, you need it for a recipe. So that's a good move on your part. When, When someone taught me to cook the cook, your noodles in the sauce with a little bit of pasta water put on them. It changed my pasta experience. It is the best idea for experiencing pasta better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're taking like a jar uh, of sauce, always add a little pasta water, thins it out and and ultimately binds the sauce, makes it a lot better. And especially if you've salted the pasta water, which you're supposed to do, by the way, boys and girls, Mm -hmm. put a little salt in there, then it it actually adds some flavor too. So that's a good move all the way around. So I I, shout out to you, shout out to Ted, keep your pasta water. Maybe not for days, but at least for 20 minutes afterwards. Number eight for you. Kanye's 808s and heartbreaks. Spencer, you requested it. I'm here for you, my friend. I've got the notes on it. This is Kanye's fourth studio album. Uh, It is 
if you listen to Kanye's stuff, I mean, he's he's zagged a lot. He uh, he reminds me he reminds <laughs> me a lot of like maybe like a or like a modern day hip hop David Bowie, like how Bowie would like have an album and then his next album would be like a hundred percent different. Like people have rose colored glasses to Ziggy Stardust, but like at the time, his fans were like, "What in the high fuck is this? Like this is absolutely different than why we like David Bowie. Kanye kind of did that with 808s and Heartbreak because before then he was a more traditional hip hop artist. You'd have a lot of like, you know, like hip hop beats that you would be used to. This was like a lot of synthesizers. Uh, he was singing a lot with auto tune and there was very little actually rapping on the album. Uh, he conceived of this album in the wake of a breakup with model Amber Rose at say model generously she's a former exotic dancer mm. um and it was a marked major musical departure from kanye's previous albums he uses a lot of auto-tune a lot of minimalist uh sonic uh sort of uh, construction in the beats and he uh uses something called a roland tr 808 drum machine which you can actually go purchase so it's basically like he just bought like a really high-priced keyboard basically and made this thing um here's the thing Ted mm -hmm. says it doesn't get enough credit. This thing is certified three times platinum. <laughs> Kanye's most famous album, The College Dropout, is four times platinum. So I don't know about that, Ted. Like, it got a lot of shine at the time and it sold a lot. So what, I, I don't know about it. Is it still well regarded? Like, people are listing Kanye's best albums. Where does it usually rank in their minds? It's like, um, so this is like, uh, you know, our, our, our good friend Levi, which you can check out on our sister podcast, Mangum Talks. Uh, he is a big Kanye fan and he would probably tell, he won't now that I'm saying this, but he probably would have <laughs> beforehand. He probably would have said like, well, you got to put 808s and Heartbreak up there because I mean, that's underrated. That's like a really common thing to say about Kanye is like, whoa, uh -huh. hold on, hold on. It's underrated. But like anything else, if you say it's overrated enough times, it becomes either properly rated or overrated. I would yeah. say 808s and Heartbreak is properly rated at this point okay well said you taught me something there yeah well yes for it do you have any more uh yeah i'm gonna endorse the decision by both ted and uh roy there ice cream is awesome no questions need to be had about whether you, you know, the ice cream was good or whatever else it's ice cream it's always going to be good just varying levels of good ice cream is a fundamental truth and people need to acknowledge it more especially ice cream cakes uh yeah maybe i'll get you to eat more than one bite of it next time you bastard Nah, I was on a strict diet. Uh, my final one, the reference to Van Dyke the painter. This is Sir Anthony Van Dyke. As you pointed out, he's a Flemish painter. Uh, he was a Baroque artist, uh, so in that Baroquean style. And he, very big deal here, became the leading court painter in England um, in the like late 16th, early 17th century. Hmm. Um, at the time, you didn't have like, there was like, no, like, even books, you couldn't like go out and buy a bunch of books, right? Um, you there was no TV, there was not like nothing to like entertain yourself, and so like very very predominantly uh, in England, it, it there was very predominant to like go check out paintings. Like this was like the thing to do, and so if you were like the big time painter, you were the fucking shit. Like you were like you, like think think like poet laureate, except people care about it. Like that's kind of what it was. Um, it was huge. And for him to be the leading court painter in England at the time, he was probably the most famous painter in, in the world uh, mm -hmm. during his time. So uh, Sir Anthony Van Dyke, uh, kind of a big deal. 
just one half one to build off that. I don't think upright bass gets enough credit for being a legitimate awesome instrument when it comes particularly for jazz. I, I, I think I don't think it gets enough credit for what it's able to accomplish and the sound it provides. People love man, the, it, it like speaks to it's almost like how your heart beats, right? Oh, yeah. That walking bass line. People love it. Uh, I sure have a lot of fun playing it. And Should we go to life lessons? If you're ready. Okay, I only got three this week. Um, I think the life lessons from this episode sort of speak for themselves, right? I don't, I didn't have to dig very hard. Um, first one, here's the quote: "I think that if you care about someone, you got a little love in your heart. There ain't nothing you can't get through together." It's wonderful advice, despite the ambiguity associated with what exactly Ted means when he's saying it. Yeah, but it's a, yeah, it's also a lesson, right? Like it's um, you know. Build bridges, right? Build mm-hmm. bridges, my friend, because you 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 create it. You create that connection. You can accomplish uh, more things together. Usually, all right. Second one. Be this is like kind of in the. I, I've started to add like some practical advice into this, not just like the warm and fuzzies. Here it is. Be respectful of others, but by God, still do your job. <laughs> yeah, solid advice. Because Ted borders on not doing his job here, and he's wrong. And Ted and Beard calls him out appropriately it's that perfect yin and yang give and take between the two of these beard is absolutely right about this look it's a professional football club if a guy's not playing well you gotta bench him like you can't let your respect and love of other people get in the way of actually doing the core elements of your job it's such a dereliction of duty i have to ask you do you feel it's in character or is this just ted divorcing himself from responsibilities of a coach to such a degree that it feels like it's something he wouldn't do i think the whole you know, I don't measure wins and losses by wins and losses is a good thing to say. Mm-hmm. And I want a coach who says it, but I want a coach who only is only 60, 40 in their belief of it. I don't want <laughs> yeah. a coach who's a hundred percent in their belief of it. Right. And, and, and Ted starts drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much with that saying. And I think, I think Beard is pulling him back. So. <laughs> I want it to be one of your core beliefs. Just not maybe the top three. Number four is a great place for that belief to be there. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Okay, final one of the episode. This is, I mean, come on, writes itself, folks. This is no surprise to anybody here. Forgiveness is stronger than resentment. It's harder to do, but it's more valuable. Absolutely. There you go. I think that's the where, where we'll end it here with our segment. Spencer, any concluding thoughts in this penultimate episode of season one? Well, don't you feel at the end of this episode that they're just going to go out and win the game and conquer everything? Aren't you just, just inspired with a head of steam about what they're going to accomplish before the next episode is done? Absolutely. 100%. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Yeah, they've set it up. that This is the great accomplishment moment, the cheer-worthy moment, the high school team winning the final, t- getting the final touchdown and win- winning the big game. How else could this story write itself out? There's absolutely no way they'll throw a wrench in that plan at all. Because, I mean, my God, we got to get season two. He's got Ted's got to come back, right? Yeah, absolutely. If he loses, he's fired. He's done. Relegation, the team is basically broken apart. As Beard said, everything they've aimed to accomplish falls apart. So how could they ever go that route? So this bit would be really funny if we were doing it and people hadn't watched the season already. Yeah. <laughs> but, but people who already watched the season, I want to just comment on something real briefly. Is I think... You know, the the end of the next episode, well, spoiler alert, uh, you know, Rebecca keeps Ted on, even though they get relegated. Don't you think that he earns some of that capital with that quick forgiveness? Yes. Like, I think that's like, I like, I like, I just want to like build that bridge between the two episodes is that like, like, 
he you talk about in like flint man he is like absolutely like the lieutenant for rebecca after that immediate forgiveness so that even goes back to the life lessons right like good things will happen to you if you what? practice a little forgiveness and even consider the reasons by which she fired the first coast it she offers the fact that he's had a very mediocre or even poor record but the reason she fires him is that she just hates him as a person she didn't like him yeah yeah <laughs> so it is consistent right that's the that's the way to earn rebecca's loyalty be a good person that she likes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I guess that's it. We will wrap up here on Ted Lasso episode nine. We will be back with you in just a couple days, maybe maybe like one or two days with episode 10. And then we will be here with you week by week after the debut of Ted Lasso season two, which will debut on Apple Plus on July 23rd. We will be back with you on the 24th, 25th with our review of episode one. So we will be with you after each episode premieres in the day two days maybe afterwards but you don't have to worry about the schedule at all if you'll just go to your favorite podcast platform type in lasso lowdown and smash that subscribe button and please if you're enjoying the podcast please subscribe rate and review we love seeing the the ratings uh and we love hearing what you guys have to say about the podcast so we thank you all for listening we have a lot of fun doing this and we're really looking forward to season two but before then we'll be back very very soon with the finale of season one thanks spencer See you next time.